Turn, if you would, tonight to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. That is something she's probably worked on, what, 200 hours? It, uh, it, it was hard work for her, and I'm glad that she was finally able to do that. And the only reason I know how much time it took is because I've heard that song, I think, a thousand times. And uh, I'm, I'm glad of it. I don't, don't get me wrong, but it's like, whew, now we can move on and uh, tackle another song. But uh, anyways, I am glad of that, and I enjoyed it. So anyways, glad you're here tonight. We've got Nehemiah chapter 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful for all that you do for us. Thank you for this place that we can assemble. God, I pray that you'd bless our time together tonight. I pray that as we wrap up this study of Nehemiah that you would use it, Lord, to be a help to us, that it would be exactly what we need as we enter into this work week and all the different things that we will encounter. I pray that it'd be something that we could use just as quick as we could need it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you may remember, I began the sermon by reminding us of the covenant that the people of Israel had made with God as a result of God's goodness in their lives and allowing them to rebuild the wall there in Jerusalem. I'm just going to go over that real quick because of how all this kind of ties together. But you may remember that in that covenant or in that vow that they made, they promised to obey or to keep God's word. They promised to honor the Sabbath and to no longer treat the Sabbath as just any other day. They said they would not forsake the house of the Lord. They vowed to meet the needs of the house of the Lord. And then they were going to care about the spiritual direction of their children by not allowing them to intermarry with the people of the land. And so as they made this vow, as they made this promise and this covenant with God, we watched as Nehemiah spoke of how he left Jerusalem, went back to the palace where he was from originally. And after several days, weeks, months, years, we don't know the exact same time frame, it would appear to be years But after some time, Nehemiah came back, and here's what he found. He found the people doing everything they vowed that they would not do. And so what we saw was the people of Israel not living in obedience to the word of God by way of the high priest and his relationship with the Ammonites. We watched the people were no longer, uh, they were no longer assembling on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was just a normal day to them, and, and the needs of the temple was not being met, and we watched as as the people of Israel allowed their children once more to intermarry with the people of the land. And so what I tried to show us last week is this, is that no spiritual victory is forever because every spiritual victory we acquire in our lives, it is something that we have to continue working on. It is something that we have to continue if we're going to maintain it. We cannot celebrate spiritual victories and then assume that we'll never have that battle again because if we do not stay on top of it, the very things that we assumed we had victory over will creep back. I don't care if it's the things that the people of Israel dealt with or some other issue that I could never imagine. If you and I think that once we have a victory that it'll always be that way, we have fooled ourselves We must stay on top of it because we have no idea what sins we are guilty of. And that is something that we have got to remember day in and day out. We are sinful flesh and we are capable of committing anything. And we have got to continue to have the Lord's help and strength in order to stay victorious in the Christian life. 
that in mind, tonight I'm going to begin with a, an illustration that I know I've used at different times over the years. I know it's tired. I know to an extent it may be a little worn out. But we're going to go a little bit different direction with it tonight. So please just stay with me, and I trust that you'll see why I'm doing this and, and hopefully how it ties in. But something that I have mentioned over the years and something you know as well as I do is this, is that whenever a husband and wife has more than one child, there is a very good chance that those children are going to have different personalities. We would agree with this, wouldn't we? It doesn't matter that they've come from the same set of parents. If you've got two kids, there's a very strong chance that those two children will have different personalities. And part of our job as a parent is directing their personality in the right direction and the way they need to channel that personality. If you don't understand exactly what I mean by that, let me illustrate. And again, hopefully this will make sense in a couple of moments. How many of us have ever known that there are some children who are very emotional in their personality and, and everything is a big deal to them? Everything is either exciting or it's traumatic or it's dramatic. And, and as everything happens in their lives, that child is a very expressive individual. Maybe that child never meets a stranger. Maybe that child is the one who's always the center of attention, maybe always the life of the party. And, and they are just a very emotional, expressive person. And sometimes when dealing with a child like that, you have to tell them, hey, listen, I'm not trying to change your personality, but in a situation like this, you really don't want to act that way. You ever been in a situation like that? You know, you're dealing with your child, boy or girl, it doesn't matter which one. Uh, you know, they're expressive, they're emotional, they're, their emotions are high and low and everything else in between. And so they're the kind of child that you would have to say, now, now listen, don't act that way here. You want to act this way in this environment, in this setting. You, you've got to learn how to control your emotions and your spirit and your personality. Again, I, I'm not trying to alter who you are, but you've got to know how to control it because if you don't have control of it, it could really get you in trouble. At the same time, if you're dealing with one of your children who would have a different personality, it might be something like this that they are very reserved in their personality. They don't seem to express that same measure of emotion. They don't have the same expression in their thoughts and in their feelings. And, and so sometimes you may look at them and you may wonder, are you enjoying yourself? Are you having fun? And you say things like this, hey, hey, listen, it wouldn't hurt you to smile just a little bit. I'm not trying to change who you are. It just it wouldn't hurt you to smile. It, it, listen, it's okay if you want to go out and have some fun at the playground and yell and scream a little bit. You don't always have to be so reserved. You can go out and you can have some fun and, and, and get some energy out. And the child may look at you and say, I did. <laughs> well, I didn't see it. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're looking at that child saying, come on. Show some expressions, show some emotion. It's all right for you to get a little bit excited about this or whatever it may be. So here we are as parents, and there are times we're saying, hey, listen, you need to control it just a little bit. And other times we are saying to our children, come on, show some life, show some emotion, 
Let people know what you're thinking, how you're feeling, etc. I know that we know this. Balance is what's needed. It can be hard sometimes to find the balance. But again, we as parents, we're trying to direct our children in that regard to help them know how they ought to behave so as to navigate through the different situations they are in. Now, as we think about that, I want us to remember what's going on. Nehemiah has made his way back here in chapter 13, and he has found in verse number 4 that Eliashib the high priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. So last week we were reminded or we read and, and we discovered that Eliashib the high priest, he became allies and he became friends with Tobiah, who was a known enemy of the people of Israel, and he was an Ammonite. And so really, Eliashib, Eliashib had no business being an ally whatsoever to Tobiah. And in addition to that, it said in verse number 5, And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn. And it goes on to talk just a little bit more as to, as to what all was taking place there and what was happening. And as we come down to verse number 8, upon hearing of what Eliashib had done or upon discovering it, notice what it says. It says in verse number 8 of Nehemiah, And it grieved me sore. It grieved me sore. So whenever it says of Nehemiah that it grieved him, what does that mean? It means this, that it became a burden to him emotionally. This was something that brought about grief. This is something that brought about sorrow. This is something that brought about a measure of sadness. Whenever he came back and he found that the high priest had given place to the enemy, Tobiah the Ammonite, there in the house of the Lord, it says of Nehemiah that it grieved him, and it says that it grieved him sore. So what does it mean whenever it says it grieved him sore? It means this, it grieved him exceedingly. It, it was not just something that disappointed him. It was not just something that caused him to say, man, that really stinks. I wish that wasn't so. No, this is something that grieved him exceedingly. This is something that grieved him much. This was something that was a burden to him. And I want us to see this because this is important. It was the disobedience to God's word that brought about the grief and the sorrow in his life. It wasn't that Eliashib had just done something that Nehemiah wouldn't have done himself. It wasn't that they had a difference of opinion in some topic or some, some area of life that caused this grief. No, it is Eliashib's disobedience to God's word that brought about the grief and the sorrow that Nehemiah was dealing with. It was to God's word that provoked this grief. So as a result, I find this very interesting. We begin to see a little bit of the emotional makeup of Nehemiah, something I'd never noticed before in all of my times reading through the book and even teaching through the book in years past. Notice what it says in verse number 8. Maybe you're familiar with this, I don't know. But it says that as it grieved him sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. What is Nehemiah saying? 
He's saying this, that as a result of coming back to Jerusalem and making his way there to the house of the Lord, as he finds Tobiah having been, give a pre- having been given a presence there in the house of the Lord, as he is grieved, he says, here is what he did. I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. This word cast forth. These two words, cast forth, what does it mean? I like this. It means this. To throw or to hurl or to fling. You know what Nehemiah did not do? He did not hire some movers to come in and to politely remove the household items of Tobiah out of the court of the house of the Lord. The scripture is very, very clear that upon discovering this and realizing the measure of disobedience of Eliashib to the commandments of the Lord, Nehemiah was so upset and he was so distraught The implication is to the point of shaking, and I would imagine that many of us have been that upset before, right? So mad that we're shaking. It says very clearly, nothing that can be argued, that Nehemiah went to town casting forth the household items. Can you imagine what that would have had to have looked like? I mean, I don't know what the household stuff or the items would have been, But in our day, it would have looked something like this. A lamp would have come flying out of the room. Pretty soon, a nightstand would have been cast out of the room because that is not what that room had been designed for. Any clothes that had been in the room that Tobiah had stored there, the clothes were just being flung and they were being hurled and they were being sent into the air. It's as though you can just see all this happening. The stuff is just flying out of there. Why? Because Nehemiah is grieved exceedingly. He is grieved sore. And I don't know, maybe this is me reading too much into it, but I would suspect that with that grief and sorrow, there had to be just a little bit of a hint of some frustration and maybe some righteous anger. Have you ever been so mad that in the midst of whatever it is that's upset you, maybe you're just kind of mumbling also? Maybe you're not mumbling. Maybe you're saying everything that you're thinking in that exact moment. I don't want to read too much into this, but I just have a hard time believing that as Nehemiah walked in there and he began casting things out, I don't think it was just a gentle tossing of the furniture, a gentle tossing of the clothes. No, I think he was very upset. I think anyone who was there and present and observing this, I think they could tell by his actions that emotionally he was kind of ramped up a little bit and, and you might just want to stay out of his way for a few minutes. It's kind of interesting that you go to verse number 10 and you read this. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. What does that mean? It means this, again, what we talked about last week. The children of Israel did not uphold their vow to meet the needs of the house of the Lord. So those who did the work of the Lord, they had to flee and go back to their own fields. So in the midst of realizing this, notice what it says in verse number 11. 
Then I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. It says he contended with them. What does it mean whenever he says he contended with them? Well, it means to confront. But it also means this, to scold or to chide. You seeing this? He brings in the portions, or he brings in the Levites. He brings in the singers and those who did the work. And he doesn't just say to them, Hey guys, what's going on? There is enough emotion associated with this that as he confronted them, as he dealt with them, there was some scolding and there was some chiding. There was some rebuke that took place. And so here is Nehemiah and he is confronting issues not only in the house of the Lord, but with the Levites and the singers and those who did the work. Then if you jump down to verse number 17, you see this. It says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath? What is the context? What's being said here? Well, this is whenever Nehemiah realizes they're no longer honoring the Sabbath as they were commanded to do, as they had vowed they would do. And so as the people of Israel have kind of slipped back into their old way of life, as the people of Israel have have gone back into their old ways and they're no longer regarding the Sabbath as they once did and should have and vowed to do, what is Nehemiah doing? He is contending with them once more. And he is rebuking them and he is scolding them and he is chiding them as well. And so what is Nehemiah doing over and over and over again? He is confronting those who are not living in obedience to God's word, but he is doing so with a measure of passion and a measure of fervor. Again, this is not just something where he's just kind of throwing it out there and hopes that people will kind of think about this. No, he is contending with them and he is scolding them and he is rebuking them because they're not doing what they ought to be doing. So notice in verse number 21 what we read. He says, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. What's happening in verse number 21? Well, As Nehemiah is trying to clean things up, as Nehemiah is trying to rectify the problems that have presented themselves once more, he is saying to the merchants who are coming and camping out outside the wall on the Sabbath, he is saying this, you do it again and you'll be arrested. I'm going to lay hands on you. Nehemiah is not playing games with this. Okay, so so you see again the, the passion and the fervor and the zeal that Nehemiah had He confronts Eliashib. He's throwing out the items of Tobiah, the Ammonite. He is confronting the Levites and the singers and those who did the work of the temple. He is confronting those who had had some control over the trade on the Sabbath. And he is saying to the vendors or to the merchants, you come back again on the Sabbath and you will be arrested. 
Now, all that to me is pretty impressive, and all that to me is pretty amazing. But it only gets more amazing to me as we read through the rest of the chapter. Verse number 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. Notice what it says in verse 25, and I contended with them. So what did he do? He confronted them. Once again, he did so, it seems, with a measure of fervor and a measure of passion and a measure of, of, of excitement, for lack of better words. But notice what it says next. He says, and cursed them. He cursed them. So does that mean that he began hurling profanities at them because he was angry and upset? Well, of course not. Of course not. Come on. He was the man of God. He wouldn't have done that. Come on. He, he did not just begin hurling profanities at them because of his anger, saying, well, bless God, I'm mad, and I can't help it if I'm mad, and I'm going to just... Uh, no, that, that's not what it means. What it means is this, is that he began to call upon them a, a, an evil word, or he began to bring about them a, a word of consequence for their actions. Okay, He was not going to just sit back and be okay with it. He was not going to just sit back and, and be good with these things that they were doing. No, he began to curse them, which means he was wishing evil upon them or wishing God's judgment upon them. But notice what it says after that. It says, and smote certain of them. Now, he could not be a New Testament preacher. Because you're not allowed to be a brawler, okay? Uh, I, listen, I, I'm just saying to us, and you know this, I'm just saying to us what the Bible says. You know what he did? He went back and he found Jews who had given their children to the children of the people of the land. And Nehemiah was so upset that as he cursed some of them and wished evil upon them for their actions and wished the judgment of God on their lives for some of their actions... He got so mad or upset or worked up or felt it justified to hit some of them. I envy the man to an extent. I'm not saying it would always work out well for me if I did that, but sometimes it's like, oh, I'd feel real good to punch somebody right now. I'm just, hey, like you've never felt that way at work, and you just, I want to punch him. Okay, Nehemiah acted upon it. And it just blows my mind what's said next. And plucked off their hair. He just grabbed their hair. How did this happen? What did this look like? I don't know. I'm mad at you. I've cursed you. I've wished evil upon you. I've wished the consequences of God on you. Now I'm smacking you upside the head. And as they have fallen to the ground, I don't know if this is how it worked, but it seems to make sense as he's fallen down to the ground or as these individuals have fallen down to the ground, it's like he just picks them up by the head of the hair, and as he does so, portions of the hair come out. And as he's beating these people up, notice what it says. 
and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. So as he's roughing them up and beating them up, maybe picking them up by the head of their hair, he is saying this, or by the hair of their head, he is saying, you better not ever do this again. Do you hear me? I don't know. If I'd just been beat up by a preacher, I'd probably say, okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if I'm the one who has just been beat up, I'm probably going to comply to whatever it is they've said for me to do. Now, I want us to see this. This is so very important. What did he do with the household stuff or the household items of Tobiah? He cast it forth from the court of the house of the Lord. He threw it. He flung it. He hurled it. He gave it no regard. He wasn't worried about being polite or nice or anything of that nature. Why? Because Eliashib had disobeyed the word of God. Whenever it came to the people not being in their place in the temple, what did he do? He contended with them. He confronted them. He confronted those who violated the Sabbath. And he approached and confronted those who gave their children to the children of the land. And he smote some after he cursed them. And then he pulled out their hair and made them vow to never do it again. Friends, that is some passion for the Word of God. That is some fervor for the Word of God, and that is a strong expression of emotions and feelings. Now, I want this very clear, okay? I I know we've had a little bit of fun with this, but I, I want this to be very clear. By no means am I advocating justice or not justice, but uh, by no means am I advocating brutality on the part of Nehemiah toward these people. I'm not advocating that. But what I would say is interesting is this, is that as you read through the rest of the chapter, there's no rebuke from God for what Nehemiah did. It's not recorded for us where Nehemiah was told by God, Son, you were way out of line. Which almost leads me to believe, though hard for us to grasp, the fervor and the emotions and the expression of his feelings, everything that Nehemiah did in those moments, hours, days, whatever it would have been, It lends itself to make us conclude this, that Nehemiah rightfully expressed himself, all things considered. Now, again, that's hard for us to imagine whenever we read it. But if God did not condemn him, I probably am not the one who ought to. Now, I say all that to say this. I try to bring this to our attention so that we can give some time to this thought that you and I are the children of God, are we not? You and I are the children of God. And here is what I know. Every one of us, like our own personal children, we have different personalities. We just have different personalities. That is a simple truth that cannot be argued. Some of us are very, let me rephrase that, some of you are very 
emotional and expressive by nature when it comes to what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and, and how you're feeling. Some of you are very good at being expressive in your thoughts, feelings, etc. Somebody says, why are you saying some of you? Because, well, thanks, Brother Mike. He said, because you're not. Right. Because I'm not. I was going to get to that, okay? I'm not. I am one who tends to be more reserved. I'm the one who tends to be a little bit less expressive. I am the one who tends to be a little bit guarded in my emotions and, and, and how I express myself. So we're different. Some of you are very expressive. Others of you would be like myself, and you'd say, I, I'm not as high-strung or I'm not as emotional or, or however you'd like to define it. That's not me. Now, in our personalities, understand this. It's not my place to try to change you, and it's not your place to try to change me by way of our overall personalities. So if you're the kind that's easily excited, be easily excited. If you're the kind that it takes a whole lot to excite you, then Lord bless you, it takes a whole lot for you to get excited. But as children of God, here's what I'd like us to consider. That when the disobedience of God's word is taking place in the lives of other children of God, that ought to be something that gets even the least excitable Christian a little bit excited. When you and I see other children of God living in disobedience to God's will, I'm not suggesting that we need to go around cursing people, smiting them and plucking their hair and saying to them, you better not ever do it again. But what I am saying is this, is there ought to be a little bit of something within us when we see the Word of God being violated, ignored, disobeyed, whatever you want to call it, there ought to be something within us that says, friends, I can't just sit back and watch that and it not upset me. That disobedience stirs me up to where I've got to at least contend with the person, confront them because of what they're doing and how they're living. I want us to see this tonight. It is okay for us to have some passion and some fervor and some zeal for the Word of God, and it is okay for us to be expressive in that position for the Word of God. See, this is what we're seeing so many times in the public realm of Christianity. Children of God living in sin and nobody gets too excited about it. They're just living in disobedience. They're just living in rebellion to the Word of God. And people say things like this, Well, you know, I just... It's really not my place to say anything. 
You know, I just say, I don't really don't have the right to say anything. You know, I've made mistakes whenever I was their age, and I really don't have the right to say anything. And, and you know, we've been friends for so long, I really just don't think it's my place to say anything. And, and you know what happens? We are living in a day where people are so passive as it relates to the Word of God being disobeyed and violated by other children of God that it doesn't seem to even register for many of God's people. We realize this? We can see young people living in sin and doesn't even really get our attention. We can see adults living in sin and it's not anything we're going to confront. It's not anything we're going to say anything about. The question ought to be, why wouldn't we? I'm not saying, please hear this, I'm not saying that we go around and we confront anything and everything just because, bless God, we can. I hope you know that I try to stress this. We've got to have some discernment, and we've got to know the leadership of the Lord in our lives to know when we're supposed to say something, when we're supposed to do something. Apparently, Nehemiah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. But I'm just saying, sometimes God's children, like our children, they need to be poked a little bit. We need to be, we need to be prodded a little bit and said something like this. It's okay if you get excited about the Word of God when it's being disobeyed and rebelled by other children of God. I'm just saying, if you, you know, if you, if you work with some people who call themselves Christians and they're living in complete disobedience to the Word of God, it's okay if that gets you a little bit. And it's okay if it gets you enough that you eventually have to confront it and say something like, why do you choose to live this way when you know good and well it's not right? If you've got people in your family and they identify themselves as believers, but they're not living in obedience to the will of God, I'm saying to us tonight, that ought to be something that gets our attention and stirs us and, and bothers us so much so that whenever God gives the open door and God gives the opportunity, we would confront them on that and say, listen, you know what you're doing is wrong and you ought not be living that way. It's okay to do that. I think sometimes we have gotten so introverted in our spiritual lives that not only do we not want to say anything, we get nervous and upset if somebody else does say something. I can't believe they said that. Can you believe they said that? Oh, my goodness. I felt so awkward when they said what they did. Listen, if the person was led by the Lord to do it, then we don't need to feel awkward because it probably needed to be said if the person was led by the Lord. I cannot believe they brought that up in front of the family. I cannot believe they said that to somebody at work. I cannot believe. No, no, no. Listen, it is okay for people to be confronted when they claim to be children of God and they choose to live in disobedience to the Word of God. It's okay. And we need to be those children who learn when to be expressive, 
when to show that passion, when to show that zeal for the things of God and not be the one who just lets it go by and we don't ever say anything or confront it or deal with it. The closing thoughts of Nehemiah, in, in my opinion, from my perspective, it just shouts at us. It's okay to be passionate about the Word of God. It is okay and it is appropriate and it is acceptable to be expressive in what we believe and what we know to be true. It's okay. And some of us, and I'm saying some of us, we need to lose that casual, reserved facade that we sometimes wear. Again, I'm not suggesting that we be obnoxious, that we be violent by any stretch. I'm just saying there needs to be on our part a willingness when led to, to confront it and to deal with it and let people know where we stand. How do we need this message tonight? I don't know how you need it. But I bet some of you know, as well as I know for myself, Sometimes we just ought to speak up, say what needs to be said, so long as it's biblical, and that we say it in the right spirit, in the right attitude, in the right approach. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you tonight. I do pray that you'd help us to be the children that we're supposed to be in our person and our being as it relates to your word and how others live according to it. God, I know that we have to be careful. I know that we have to be careful. We have to use some discernment in how we approach it. But Lord, we cannot afford to just sit back and let things pass and let things slide without us saying some things and confronting some things every once in a while pray that you'd help us to have that discernment. I pray that you'd help us to have the desire to be what we're supposed to be. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.